Good evening. It is good to see you tonight, and it's thrilled to have you here. If you have your Bibles and you're in the book of Philippians, that's where we are as we continue our study through this book. We have been talking about uh, Paul's perspective relative to the way he has interpreted and seen the world and how he takes the spiritual things in his life and uh, through inspiration writes those for the church at Philippi and for us. Uh, just to kind of bring us up to speed, we were in chapter 4. We made the case that it's connected to chapter 3, and so we've been entitling these last several thoughts, A Heaven-Bound and Peaceful Life. That's kind of how Paul left off chapter 3. If you look at the end of chapter 3, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Paul is not the first time he's talked about the resurrection. He mentions it earlier in chapter 3. You remember back in chapter 3 about verse number 11, 10, 11, 12, all the way to about 14, where he says he has given up those things in his life. He counts them but dung, but waste. He says that about what he had experienced in life under Judaism. But now he says he's doing these things that he may win Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness, but the righteousness which comes from Christ. And he talks about uh, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching for all of that context and all of that material leads into chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, and then into chapter 4. And so we talked about the first three verses, a heaven-bound life is a life rooted in Christ in those first three verses, and then a heaven-bound life is a life of peace, verses 4 through 7, and that's kind of where we left off. Uh, the last time we were together. We pick up tonight looking at verse 8 and verse 9 as he continues that thought about how we can have a peaceful life, how this heaven-bound peaceful life happens. I'm going to urge that what Paul ultimately says here is that in order to have that kind of life, you have to have a healthy mind a spiritual mind. This mind he's been talking about throughout the book, and we'll note that. But notice, if you will, beginning in verse number 8, what he says, finally, brethren. Now, that's in light of everything that's been said. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, what is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if there's any uh, thing worthy of praise, dwell on these things. King James will say, think on these things. Dwell on them. Think about them. Then he says in verse 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do or practice these things. And here's our word again, the God of peace will be with you. He's talking about going to heaven. He's talking about peace. And how do you get that? Well, this mind is so critical to the success of that. I don't know if you've done this in recent times, but let me just urge you or encourage you to, whenever you come across a list like this in the Bible, and there are many in the New Testament, I would urge go and define the words and see what they mean. Go see what the Scripture enjoins. 
if you were talking about Galatians 5 and you get the list of now the works of the flesh are manifest and they are these, well, whatever is listed there, you and I would need to know what that is because it's to be avoided. And sometimes if you don't know what it is, it's going to be hard not to know whether or not you're doing it or not. But on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is be good to define those things so that you would know what it is you and I are supposed to be bearing in our faith and in our walk. And you might be surprised that a many a Christian does not know what those things mean. Peter does the same thing. Add to your faith. And then he lists all these things. Well, we would need to know what that is. And so I would urge for us to do that. Whatsoever things are true, the word means that which is not concealed. This is something that's done without concealment. It's correct. It's true. Honorable, venerable, a venerable character, august, right, equitable, innocent, holy, pure, clean, again, innocent, modesty, lovely, acceptable, pleasing, and of good report, well spoken of, reputable, virtue, manliness, or valor. Peter will say the same thing. Again, the King James says, think on these things. The NASV says, dwell on these things. This is about the mind then. That's really what Paul has been talking about the entirety of the book. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of thinking. And Paul says here, think on these things. Chapter 2 and verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look again at chapter 3 and verse 15. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this mind or this attitude. And if there's anything different attitude, God will reveal even that unto you. There are hindrances. If you and I don't, uh, if we're seeking a peaceful life, if we're seeking a joyful life, a heaven-bound life, this is going to begin in the mind. What's the challenge for a great many people is their thinking. That is the challenge, and it needs to be corrected. It needs to be uh, turned aright towards God's thinking. Hindrances to peace. Well, you could read a lot of them in the book. Look at chapter 1 and verse 12 and verse 14. Imagine how peaceful Paul would be if he had thought differently about these instances. In chapter 1, he is referencing going to prison. He was beaten, jailed incorrectly, and uh, 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 without cause back in chapter Acts in verse 16. Now he says, now I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have turned out, happened unto me, have turned out unto the furtherance of the gospel. He's going to say, my imprisonment and for the cause of Christ, it's become well known throughout the Praetorium Garden. Everyone here knows it. And the brethren have, they've taken notice of it, those who trust in the Lord, and actually it's blessed and benefited them. But what if in that imprisonment, all Paul did was murmur and complain? How would his peace be? How, how would his state of being be if all he did was preach Jesus and he was arrested? All he did was preach Jesus, and he was beaten. All he did was preach Jesus, he was thrown into prison. Imagine what a negative thing that could have been. What happens is, to a hindrance to peace is a negative thought, negative thinking, a pessimistic thinking. That kind of thinking disrupts and destroys peace, but it's not the only thing. Fearfulness can. Look at chapter 1 and verse 28. 
He says, well, in verse 27, only let your conduct and your con conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, you are with one mind striving together for the face of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents. But what if you are? What if you are alarmed by your opponents? What if fear occupies the mind? Well, peace will have to leave if fear resides there. Paul doesn't have that problem. And then you could list any number of other things that's listed in the book that if you turn them the other direction, they would destroy peace. Selfishness would do it. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing through vain conceit or selfishness. What if you did? It robs peace. Complaining, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you approve yourselves to be blameless. But what if that's all one does is murmur and complain? Carnal thinking, chapter 3 and verse number 9, Paul says, I don't want to have my own righteousness. I want to have the righteousness that comes from Christ. He talks about those who are enemies of the cross, chapter 3 and verse 19. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I long to see you disruptive and destroying unity. Well, that would do it. There are any number of things that could rob one of peace. Chapter 4 and verse 6, be not anxious. Be anxious for nothing. The Bible tells us not to be anxious, not to worry. God tells us not to do that. And sometimes Christians tell one another that. They say, well, don't worry about it. You know, that, that's, it's going to be okay. God will see you through. I've said something like that to people in various settings and for different reasons. And sometimes I've been met by way of response with something like this. It's my personality to worry. My personality is to have negative thoughts. Uh, I can't help it. I've even had people say to me, well, that's easy for you to say. Scripture doesn't teach us to change our personalities. I, I don't know of a passage in the Bible that says change your personality. I, I don't know of anything in the Bible like that. But what Scripture does enjoin upon us to is to change our behavior. Our thinking and our behavior, it does demand that we do that. Worry is not a personality trait as best as I can ascertain it. It's a behavior. Dictionary.com says of worry, it is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts and to fret. According to the Holy Spirit, we can live worry-free lives, peaceful lives, and heaven-bound lives. Now, how can we do that? Paul says, Scripture says, inspiration says, it begins in the mind, a healthy mind, a mind, as Paul says it here, that dwells on these things. Now, how do I do that and what can I do? Number one, feed your mind healthy things and you can have healthy thoughts. He has been talking about our minds from chapter one. His perspective is the way he's been couching it. He gets near the end of the book and he's still talking about that. And so he keeps going from one to the other. He will say, rejoice in the Lord, and then don't be anxious. Instead of being anxious, pray to God, and his peace will guard your heart. Finally, brethren, think on these things. Whatever is true, in order to feed your mind the truth, you have to stop feeding your mind things that are not true. 
Some people feed their minds information all day long. Typically, they wake up and put on the news, and they listen to it all day long, one way or another, and then they complain about how untrue the news is. Are the things you're listening to true? Are the ads you're watching true? Are the people you're listening to telling you the truth? Are the books you're reading telling you the truth? Are the podcasts you're listening to telling you the truth? Are the videos you're watching telling you the truth? The Bible says whatever is true. Let me urge you to think beyond a small, small section of that. It's not just the truth in this episode. It's not just the truth in this article. It's not just the truth in this one chapter. It's not the truth in this conversation. The verse says, whatever is true. The process of erosion takes place a little bit at a time. And that's kind of the way it works on us. We listen to errors. And it's not just the error. I mean, that might be the obvious thing. We're saying, ultimately, don't listen to error. But it's not just the error that you're listening to that is the problem. The problem is what the error conditions us to do, which is namely, listen to error. You accept things that are not true, and you become comfortable listening to errors. And it erodes our attitude about lies. And it makes us more and more comfortable with being okay and accepting of listening to lies. Over time, we approve of the person, the party, the show, the situation, the cause, so much that in time, we begin to defend error and lies and untruths. This affects our minds, which affects and determines our health and our lives. There is a man in the Bible spoken of, and sometimes he's just casually called the blessed man. His description is in Psalm 1, in verse number 1 and verse number 2. And what the Bible says about this man is it just does call him blessed. Now, obviously not one person, but any person who does what he does and what is it that he does. The Bible says, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Here is a man that you will not find listening to lies. He won't. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. It's a progressive thing. It begins with, he doesn't walk in their counsel, walking in their circle, listening to their instruction, following along. But then he walks so long that after a while he stands, he gets a little more stationary. Now then, he walks in their counsel, he sits with the seat of the scornful. He stands in the way of sinners, and after standing a while, he gets so comfortable that he sits. And he goes from one who was walking in, he doesn't walk in their counsel, he doesn't stand with the sinners, he's now a scoffer himself. He now sits in the seat of the scoffer. The verse opens by saying, this man would never do that. What this list of Philippians 4, 8, the effect that it could have is, it may not stop you from listening to all forms and sources of media, but it might make a difference on, on modifying your use and quantity 
and the sources from which you get it. You listen to the list again and then attach it to social media. Not just social media in a broad, generic way, but the social media you listen to. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are right and pure and lovely and of a good report and excellent, if there's anything praiseworthy, think, dwell on these things. There is a negative impact on our hearts and our minds as we listen to and think on things that are the exact opposite of that list. As we listen to and think on things that are untrue, dishonorable, unjust, impure, unloving, of evil report, lacking virtue, and shameful. Truth of the matter is we're all thinking on something. You might want to ask yourself, I would encourage, how is the health of your mind? If I am worried, scared, agitated, suspicious, impure, dishonest, dishonorable, rude, not lovely, doubtful, depressed, what am I feeding my mind? What am I thinking on? What am I dwelling on? A healthy mind leads to spiritual living. That's the way Scripture describes it. Paul says then, the things that you have learned of me— Much of this book is dedicated to Paul, teaching the brethren his outlook. Here, learn these things from me. We've talked about them at Lit. Back in chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, we read it. I'm in prison, but listen, I think it was a good thing. I think this is going to turn out for good for me, for those who don't know the Lord, and for the brethren. Chapter 1, 21 to 23, for me, as to me, to live as Christ— to die is gain. Chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says, the things you've learned and heard and seen, received in me, do those things. Paul says, you have learned them, you've received them, you've heard them, and you've seen them in me. Over and over again, that's what he's been saying. Now, what does he want them to do with it? Practice it. I'm not sure why and maybe it's because of the translation of darkness to light and uh, talking about it in those terms, but we almost seem to think that as soon as a person is saved, they're on their way and they won't make any mistakes. He's going to describe it as practicing, doing it, living it out. It's a lifetime of growth and maturation of walking in the Lord. That's what Paul is talking about. Here's the thing that we should all know. We will speak what we think. We will do what we think. And we will practice and live what we think. It's why Scripture always talks about the mind. The information that goes into the mind will determine the state of the heart and the words that flow out of it and the deeds that are done by it. The body and tongue will simply follow the instructions of the mind. And so, Scripture is the mind of God revealed. It's God's mind revealed to our minds, so that our minds, having learned His mind, can be like Him and think like Him. And so, you read all of these exhortations about renewing the mind 
renovating it, changing it, making it new. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, to understand the proverb, the wise sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools hate instruction. Proverbs 2 and verse number 6, the Lord gives wisdom out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, come unto me, take my yoke and learn of me. John 6, 44, 45, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned cometh unto the Father. But if you have your Bibles, look at Ephesians 4 and verse 17, where the Apostle Paul takes mostly the second half of the book to talk about the transformation of life and mind and thinking based on the things he's revealed in the first half of the book. Chapter 17, this revelation should have a profound impact on the mind of the saints. And so he says to them in verse 17, this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. How do they walk, Paul? in the vanity, the futility of their mind. Listen to all the words that have to do with the mind or thinking. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. What's the difference between the Ephesians and their countrymen? Verse 20, he says, but you have not so learned Christ. The brethren learned Jesus. As a result of that learning, know what happens. If indeed you have heard of him, been taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, what happens when you learn Jesus? that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed where? In the spirit of your mind. Now that my mind has been renewed, renovated, changed, what changed it? Information. What information? Specifically, Jesus. Specifically, the things relating to the Savior, who He is, what He has done. You were walking against that. You were contrary to that, chapter 2, in the first five verses. Paul says, we all walk that way. But God, in His mercy and grace, sent Jesus. Now you've learned Him. As a result of learning Him, notice what happens. Verse 23 says, you renewed the spirit of your mind. Verse 24 says, you put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Now, we will not read the rest of the book, but really from here on, largely into chapter 5, probably as far down as verse 21, certainly down to about verse 15, 16. From there on into chapter 5, Paul talks about changed living. Immediately after the changed mind comes the changed living. Why did the Gentiles, in verse 19, 20, why did they give themselves over to all of that manner of living? Because of the ignorance and the dark hardness and the darkness of the mind. It's the way it works in either direction. And so, Paul immediately talks about speaking truth, not lying anymore. Every man speaks truth to his neighbor. That if you had previously stolen, stop stealing and go to work. But don't just go to work give. 
You go from taking that which is not yours to giving what you have earned to somebody else in need. That's a renovation of the mind, and it leads to change lives and change actions. When we learn, we think differently, we speak differently, we live differently. And here's the thing that needs to be understood. There are only two options. I suppose if you wanted to, you could categorize them under a myriad of different fields and different subsets. But really, you can learn from two fathers. That's it. Either God can be your father and you can be a child of God or you can be a child of the devil. There is not a third option here. 1 John 3, 1 to 8, John will talk about who are children of God and who are children of the devil. He'll say, by this, we can know them. And it has to do with their practice and the way that they live and think. There are only two options. Jesus makes it very plain. You can be for me or against me. There's not a third option. Indifference is not an option. That's against. Matthew 12, 30. He that is not with me is against me. There's not another option. There's only two people. All of the 7 billion people on the planet, in the end, there's only two. You're either lost or you're saved. That's it. There are only two walks. You can either walk in the light or you can walk in darkness. 1 John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 7. There's not a third place to walk. There are only two destinies. You are either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell. There aren't any other options. When Paul talks about thinking, when he talks about the mind, That information is coming from some source, and it's going to direct you to go some direction. And Paul says, if we think like Jesus, as he is doing, if we will put on his mind, you'll notice the end of the verse. In verse number 9, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. Peace is not the result of blissful ignorance. It's based on knowledge, not ignorance. Peace is not the result of a blessed birth. Some people say, I was born this way. Oh, you were just born happy. You were just born with a good disposition. No, that's not the result of peace. It's not a blessed birth. Peace is the result of being born again into Christ. Peace is not a happy accident. Peace is the result of a life lived with the mind of Jesus. And people who don't have peace often accuse people of who have peace of not caring. I've heard people say that. Oh, you're just one of those people that don't care about anything. The reason I'm so worried is because I care so much, and you don't care about it. That's just not true. No, that theory won't wash at all. Otherwise, you'd be saying Jesus didn't care. Look at Mark chapter 4. I don't—it's I, a safe, safe thing to say that nobody cared more than Jesus. In Mark chapter 4 and verse number 36, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern of the, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Master or teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Let me ask you, does Jesus care or no? That's what they want to know. The storm is raging. The Lord was awakened. He came. He rebuked the storm, and a calm came. The apostles now had peace. Let me suggest this to you, friends. If the only way you can have peace is for the storms to stop, then it's likely you will not live a life of peace. And neither will you have a peaceful mind. And according to the Lord, though we didn't read down to verse 41, when he did get up and when he did calm the storm, he said to them, why do you have such little faith? 
it's likely your faith needs to grow if that's the case. Christ lived and taught that because of his power, you could have peace. He taught because of his presence, you could have peace. Not because you are with him, but because he's with you. Because of his provisions, you can have peace. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. There's peace in the Lord. Peace, I leave with you my peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Christ doesn't need to calm the storms in order for us to have peace. Christ provides peace in the storms, and that's the point. Every day we wake up, storms are raging. And what some saints do is they get up and they check the forecast every day and they find the same thing. The world is in chaos. They then get their rain gear on and put on worry and put on cares and put on anxiousness and put on anger. They don't realize it, but the way they get dressed is by putting on social media, putting on the news, putting on the pundits. And when their conditions get out of control, they then turn and put on their gurus and put on their guides and put on their self-helps. If only, if only they would put on Christ and put those individuals off. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 28, in his first address to humanity, if I could paraphrase the section of Scripture, Jesus is effectively saying, listen, you will have storms. I'm not taking them away. But if you build your house on me, then you'll be fine. Matthew 7, 24 to 28. There is a wise man he builds his house on the rock, but the house built on the rock gets hit by the storm too. Paul's admonition has been constant in the book. Stand firm in the Lord. Live in harmony in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Be anxious for nothing. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. We have to stop telling ourselves that our present has to be our permanent. I'm not a positive person. What does that mean? Does that mean you can never become one? I, well, I'm a person who worries. So what does that mean? Does that, does that mean you can never stop? Throughout this book and the Bible, the Lord is in it. Chapter 4 and verse 1, the Lord is there. Chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 5, the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord. 5, the Lord. 6, God. 7, God. Christ. In verse 9, and the God of peace. Instead of talking about what we can't do, why don't we talk more about what God can do? What he can do to us. What he can do through us. What he can do with us. If you are in Christ, you have the ability to have a peaceful life. You have access to a peaceful life. You have the right to a peaceful life. You have the help to have a peaceful life. But you will need a well-fed spiritual mind. Think on these things. We're about to go, if I were a teacher in school, I talked to one earlier, and she said she was looking forward to the Christmas break. 
I can appreciate that. So I would be one of those teachers who would give assignments on the Christmas break. <laughs> I only tell you that because the following is an assignment. You can do it over the Christmas break. Here's the assignment. Have you ever noticed that when we want to get healthier, more fit in our physical bodies, what the people tell us to do, at least some of them will say, okay, you need to start journaling. You can't trust yourself as to what you're eating because you don't really know, you think you don't eat that much, but through the course of the day, you might find yourself snacking and eating and doing a lot of things. So I'll tell you what you do. Just write down this week what you're eating and drinking. Write it down so we can see it and then talk about it. What if we did that for our spiritual man's health? What if you tracked what you're allowing into your mind? What if you wrote it down? This morning I listened to, what if you took a note of that? This afternoon I watched, what if you took a note of that? This evening I binged, what if you wrote that down? And what if you wrote down the content that they presented to you? Sometimes they'll tell you, here's what's in what you're about to listen to. Here's what's in what you're about to watch. Here's what you could expect to put into your mind. What if you tracked it? Maybe our spiritual man is not as healthy and well and fit because of what he's being fed. His health is dependent on his intake. Final thought. Transformation doesn't occur because we simply stop something. Transformation occurs when we stop something that's detrimental and then we change our minds and learn to delight in something else. So what happens is the physical man is stimulated by all of the entertainment and all of the stuff, the dopamine and all these other things go into what's being entertained and it feels good and it's enjoyable. And sometimes when we suggest that, well, you need to stop some of that stuff and put some good stuff, what people do is, okay, I'm going to stop that and then I'm just going to go drag my way through spiritual things. And they wonder why this is of no fun to them and of no benefit and never lasts. Because I went from, oh, this is so exciting and fun and happy to, oh, man, I guess I'll just stop all the fun stuff and try to be a Christian. Go back to Psalm 1. Listen to this blessed man. We talked about what he didn't do. Blessed is the man that does not walk, he doesn't walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We didn't read verse 2, because that verse says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here's our challenge. What can we do to train our spirits and minds to delight in the spiritual? To find those same feelings of excitement and stimulation and fun. What can we do? Now, what some people do here is they just try to take the entertainment that's fun over here, bring it over here, and turn the church into a circus. No, sir, and no, ma'am. His delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in his law doth he meditate day and night. As the deer pants after water, so my soul long. What can we do to train the mind to delight, to enjoy, to thirst and hunger for the spiritual food? If we'll do that, peace, joy, contentment, love, unity, you name it, we'll have it in spades. And woo, wouldn't it be good to go share that with the lost world? A peaceful, heaven-bound life, it begins in the mind. And if we don't get our minds transformed into the mind of Christ, we'll forever struggle to be what he wants us to be. Not a Christian tonight, become a Christian. There is no better life on planet Earth that one can live. There is no higher calling. There's no better way to live than to have the mind of Jesus and live like him. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Confess or repent from your sins. Change your heart. Change your mind. Confess the name of Jesus. Somebody has described it as the sweetest name on mortal tongue. I like the poetry, and it's fantastic. It is the greatest name that's ever been uttered. Jesus, name above all names. You need to confess that name, be immersed in water, let him save you through his blood, and then walk and delight in his ways. If you are his child of God, if you are a child of God, and you've not lived in a way that's pleasing to him, please come home. Our Father would love it if his child would come home tonight. If we can help or assist in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.